Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church exists to lead people towards a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. We hope that this message will encourage you and inspire you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy this week's message from Pastor Lauren Foster. We're going to start a brand new series and we've titled this Deep Roots. And I want to give you a little bit of vision as to what this series is all about, because I don't know about you, um, I've noticed over the last four or five months, there's been a lot of tension that's been building, not only in our country, but in our lives personally. And I shared this uh, with my wife at the very beginning when we were talking about this series, is that I really want this to be something where spiritually we grow some deep roots so that we know what we believe and why. Because I am totally convinced that the faith you had in 2019 is not enough to get you through 2020. I'll say it like this. The faith that you had, the strength that you were living off yesterday is not enough to get you through your today. We need something fresh and new from God. And I believe if we're all taking inventory of our lives spiritually, if we're seeing how we're living and walking, kind of breathing in our relationship with God, if we're being honest with ourselves, what I've noticed is that tension causes what's inside of us to rise to the surface. And perhaps in the last four or five months, maybe there's some things that have been rising to the surface that you don't really like. And maybe you're trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean? Maybe you just feel unsettled. I've noticed even in my own life that the reason we need to grow deep is we need to be solidified with what we believe because it's the thing that's going to keep us and hold us and anchor us through no matter what is next. And for me, I would love it if we would start asking the question instead of asking this question, Lord, what's going to happen next? Because that seems to be the running theme, like, man, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? Instead of asking that question, Lord, what's going to happen next? I'd rather us ask the question, Lord, what's happening inside of me? What do you want to do in my life in this season? What do you want to show me and reveal to me? So that being said, to kick off this series this weekend, I want to talk about the subject of worship. Everybody say worship. Say it again one more time. Worship. Okay, worship is something that gets our attention. It tends to be what we value the most. I'm going to prove this to you through scripture. And today, here's the question that we're going to aim to answer this weekend. What does God really want? I mean, that's a powerful question to consider. What does God really want? What does he want from us? What does he want from our lives? And answering this question is going to help create an environment where we can grow some deep spiritual roots in our life. If you would, one last time, pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing. We just pray, God, that you would show us how we could grow stronger in our walk with you and our relationship with you so that we can be anchored no matter what we face. We know you're faithful, you're true, you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's some truth. We all worship something. Whether you would consider yourself a Christ follower or not, whether you're new to this thing when it comes to church or your walk with Christ, you worship something. You can't help it. Something right now is getting your attention. It's getting your affection. It's getting your adoration. Worship very simply is love expressed. A better way to say it is worship is a response to what we love the most. So for some of us, if we took inventory, it might be, might be you. You love you the most. 
It could be your money. It could be your favorite sports team. Finally, sports is back. It could be fitness. It could be your cat. I pray that it's not your cat. If it's a dog, that's okay. But if it's your cat, I'm sorry. I had somebody once, they, they asked a pastor that I knew. They said they were really deeply wanting to know if after they passed, if their cat would be in heaven one day. And I would say the same thing. Your dog may have a chance, but your cat, no way. There's no chance. Your cat's getting to heaven. But it's, here's what worship is. It's what you adore. It's what you love. It's what gets your attention. And I'll be clear. God doesn't mind that we adore different things in our life as long as those things don't take the place of him in and through our life. And I think for us to ask ourselves this question, What are the things that I give my attention to? And is God at the top of that list? Because I maintain from time to time that I replace God at that top spot. That at times he's not my priority. He's not all that I'm giving my time, my energy, my schedule, my activity, my devotion to. And that's how we can really measure what it is that we worship. Listen, here's here's an incredible parable, a formula we could follow. Whatever you worship, you'll become obsessed with. And what you become obsessed with, you'll imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. And some of us, we may not like what we are becoming or what we have become in this season of spiritual development in our life. And if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves, who or what right now is on the throne of our heart because we've become what we worship? The Bible talks about this. We could really call this right now, I think, what's happening in our culture, in our world. You could almost say it's like the not-so-great exchange. Let's look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Interesting to note, this was written to believers, those that would have had a relationship with the Lord for although they knew God. So they had one part of this right. It was like they had a relationship with God, they knew of Him, but for whatever reason, their lives, their worship, it was not adding up. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Really what it was talking about is idols back in the day when it came to biblical times. And you might say, well, you know, that's not really applicable today, Foster. I don't worship a golden calf or there's not an animal that I worship uh, in my life right now. But listen, we can see this in culture right now where we have exchanged the glory of God for our own will, our own way, our own desires, And in Romans, they replaced God with something that was physical. But for us, it could be something that's so much more. It's the categories by which we spend and place our time, our value. What do we spend our money on? What, What do we have that's holding our attention on a consistent basis? Because evaluating those categories, you can know if that has taken place. And there's four things that I'm totally convinced that we've exchanged. I'm going to run through these quickly, but it's going to frame in what we're going to talk about to really answer the question, what does God really want? The first thing that we've exchanged, number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, it's just substitution. We've substituted things in our life 
for the Lord when it comes to him being the priority in our, in our world. It could be shopping, cooking, food, Netflix, sports, could be Steelers football. I don't know what it might be for you, but there are things in our life that we've all done. We've all substituted something where God belongs, number one, maybe intentionally, unintentionally. And if we're not careful, these things can work their way into a place that's reserved for God and him alone. When we lived in the South, we lived in Arkansas for a little over 10 years, and it was SEC football country. I'm talking about people were fanatical about football. And here's the thing. You may or may not follow college football, but let me tell you, the Arkansas Razorbacks were one of the worst football teams in America. In fact, we've got a family that they used to live in Arkansas. Chris, watch. You know, they're, they're, they're horrible. Here's what it would be like. It would be like being a Browns fan, okay? Growing up in Northeast Ohio, I remember people, they would tell me when we lived in the South, they're like, you just don't know what it's like. So just, you, 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 get, you anticipate you're gonna have a good season every year, but every year your, your dreams, your hope, your will is crushed. I said, I know exactly what that feels like. I grew up an hour outside of Cleveland. I know what it's like. But it was like a religion. I mean, it was a, you, you rearranged your schedule, your calendar, everything in your life revolved around that one thing. And for many people, it became their God. Now, is God against football? Is he against things recreationally that we love? Absolutely not. He just doesn't want to see our affection and desire for those things placed above him. A few years ago, a few years ago my daughter, she was really into soccer. Now, Emma, she was in third grade at the time, and she was in this club league, and she was actually really good. In fact, they, they nicknamed her the wall because she was fearless. If somebody was coming at her with the ball, she would just stand there like a brick wall and just, and just take it. Whatever somebody was kicking or you know, coming at her, she wouldn't move. So the wall was having a really good season. Well, in where we lived in our city, at the end of third grade, if you wanted to move up and continue to play, you had to join a traveling league. Well, at that point, there were a lot of families. And again, nothing against sports or traveling, but it, it consumed many families, their, their whole schedule, their whole calendar. And so I remember the coach wanted us, you know, to consider letting her play. At first, it was like, okay, well, how much of a commitment is it? Like, well, we're going to travel to Alabama and Georgia and Arkansas and Mississippi and Louisiana. I was like, that's it? How many other states are we going to travel to? And so we talked about it, and then he said, oh, and by the way, it's going to cost $1,500. I said, $1,500 for my third grader to play soccer? I was like, that's a lot of money. And so, you know, we talked about it, and Emma, she was excited. She's like, Dad, Dad, are we going to play? Are we going to play soccer? Am I going to join the league? I said, no, honey, we got something even better. She goes, what is it, Dad? I said, we're going to join the Backyard Soccer League. She said, what's that, Dad? I was like, that's the league where Dad sets up a net and you can play soccer whenever you want, and it's free, and we don't have to go anywhere. But I noticed in my life, just friends of mine, once again, where their priority, where their schedule, where their time, where their money followed, that dictated what they worshiped, where their affection truly lied. Let's be honest. We build our lives around the things we love, and what we worship. Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15 says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who's among you 
is a jealous God. He wants our affection. He desires our love. Number two, something that I believe we've exchanged. It's this term, you may or may not have heard of it before. It's called hedonism. Hedonism, which is really a way to say pleasure. The belief that pleasure or happiness is the goal of life. You measure life on whether or not something feels good, and that dictates whether or not you do it. So you don't have morals, you have feelings. You don't have choices, you have feelings. Don't judge me, that's just the way I feel. And let me be very clear, I understand the temptation that could come up when it, when it talks about living in this way, but the reality is we can't trust our feelings and our emotions alone because our feelings can deceive us. They are not where we place our trust, our truth, our worship. I remember growing up years ago, uh, my wife and I, I accepted Christ when I was a teenager. I didn't grow up in church, but I remember every summer we'd go to this amazing summer camp in Michigan where six to 800 students would come and we'd have live worship all week long and all these activities. It was a blast. But I remember there were friends of mine that every once in a while they would come to church, but what started to shift over the years is they'd be absent all year long and then they'd want to come to camp which was great. But I remember asking him, I was like, man, why don't you guys come around like, you know, during the year? And they said, because it just, I I just, I want to get back to the way that felt. I want to get back to that environment like it was at camp last year. And I could sense even at a very young age that it was like, man, it's so easy to get trapped pursuing the feeling in the room. And let me be clear. It's great to be in the presence of God where you can feel his presence, where you can feel the Lord working and moving. There's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is we don't come to church to serve the Lord and to seek out a feeling. We come to worship God and to give him what he deserves, whether we feel it or not. It's a choice that we make. It's it's who we worship. It's why we worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice means I'm not going to wait until I feel it. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to give him glory regardless if I feel it or not. Number three is being a spectator, where we've exchanged just spectating often when it comes to church or being around the things of God. And I believe the Lord has never asked us to simply spectate, but participate. I mean, I would look at this no differently than I do my marriage and my relationship with Lauren. If I told Lauren tomorrow, if I said, baby, I love you, um, I'm married to you, but I'm not going to show you any affection. I'm not going to give you any kiss. I don't want anybody to know publicly that we're together. But baby, I love you, and you know, we're good. Fist bump. How many of you know this fiery little Italian would rip my face off? That's just the way it is. Why? Because you respond to who you love. You put action to your belief. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And I believe that maybe many of us are at a place where I've been at times in my life where we are waiting on God to do something in our life. It's like we come in and we're like, God, do something for me on my behalf. And here's the reality. The Lord's already made his move. He has sent Christ He's paid, the Lord has paid a price that we can't even comprehend. He's made his move towards us. It's our move now. It's our choice whether or not we want to draw near and get closer to the Lord. And the fourth thing is this, tradition. 
I believe at times we've exchanged that place where, where God deserves to be number one for tradition. Because I can tell you, I didn't grow up in church, but I notice a lot of people hold on to tradition. And let me be clear, I love tradition. I would say I'm a traditionalist by nature. But our traditions, if we're not careful, be, can become a replacement for worship itself. Sometimes we might even think God likes a certain way better than another. And all of a sudden, the tradition is what becomes the most important thing that we focus upon. We don't worship God with any specific method. We worship God when he's the affection of our heart. And we have to be careful that we don't adore the traditions more than we adore God. Jesus even referenced this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 9. He says this, Jesus replied, And why do you, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, By your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. Anyone who speaks disrespectfully must be put to death. He's calling out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And at the end, in verse 8 and 9, it says this, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Lord, I pray that we would never be a church where that's said of us. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So if we've exchanged some things in our life where God truly deserves to be on the throne of our heart, what does God really want? Where do we go from here? Well, we're going to look in Psalm chapter 50 to see exactly what the Lord is aiming for, what he desires from you and me. And this kind of revelation, I'm just telling you, will help you grow deep spiritual roots in your relationship with God. It says this in Psalm chapter 50 I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer. Now, back up here for just a second. This is a prophetic psalm where the Lord is speaking through David, he's writing this, the Lord is declaring some things. And in the past, before Christ was made our sacrifice for our sins, people had to offer up burnt offerings, animal sacrifices to atone for their sin, for the forgiveness of their sin. And so the Lord's saying, I have no complaint about the sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer. I've told you to do that. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine. Like, I don't need some man-made offering because all of this is mine to begin with anyways. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountain and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine, everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Basically saying, am I human like you? No, I'm God. Here's where we need to lean in. It says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God And keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. If you're taking notes, write this down. What does God really want? Three things. We've tried to simplify this. We're going to see it through Scripture here. But the first is this. He wants us to thank Him with sincere affection. Where it says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. It just means when you wake up and you take another breath each day, it could be simple as, God, just 
Thank you for who you are. Thank you for blessing me with another day on this earth. Thank you for blessing me with my family that I live in this country. That no matter how bad it may seem right now, you are still good. I could tell you an insecurity that I've had even before we planted the church is that, you know, we're raising two kids right now. And um, I didn't grow up in a home where I had a dad as a pastor or even family members that were in ministry. But I've been around a lot of kids that did when I was growing up. And, and some, they came out the other side and they were, they were doing great in their walk with the Lord. And then others, they just walked through some painful experiences. So I remember before we even planted the church, I was concerned about this. I was like, I don't really know what it's like to be dad and a pastor. And I don't want my kids to hate God. I don't want my kids to hate me. I just, I just want to love them and, and be the best dad I can be. But I don't, I don't know how to wear and be both things right now. I'm, I'm still learning. And so there's times where I'll just sit down with my kids and I'll just ask them, how, how am I doing? Is there, is there something that, that dad could be doing better? And and then I remember a while ago, after, after we started the church, I asked the question, I was nervous to see what Emma would tell me because she's almost, she turns 13 this month, and so she's getting older, and I knew that she'd be honest. She's, she's a fireball in our family. And so I said, Emma, I said, what's it like to have dad as a pastor? I said, is that okay? Like, tell me what you think. And I remember it was just the, the most sincere moment that I've had with one of my kids where she just said, Dad, I love being a pastor's daughter. It's like, I just, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm like holding back tears. I'm like, really? Tell me more. And she's just being honest with me and she's telling me how she feels. And I was like, is it okay? Is being a, she's like, I get to walk around the church. And she's like, it's like, it's, a, it's a, my church too. And I said, like, I know it is. And she goes, and I get extra candy. I was like, yeah, you get extra candy. You can have all the candy. Listen, it had nothing to do with my position. It was just this sincere moment of, a, a daughter being affectionate towards her father that I felt from her. And can I tell you, that's exactly what the father wants from you. He wants his sons and daughters to be like, Lord, I love you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. I don't, I don't say it enough. Maybe I've said it the wrong way in the past, but I'm acknowledging you today how much I love you. Second Chronicles 16, 9 it gives an incredible image to the way the Lord is searching for our hearts and how we love him. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's like he's just looking for people out there. It's like, whose heart's committed to, to me? Who, who's seeking after me in a way where they're giving me affection, where they're thanking me for what I'm doing in and through their life? Second part of this verse, it says to fulfill vows. What does that mean? Where it says in this passage of scripture, to keep the vows you've made to the most high. It means we're taking the relationship to a new level. You could write it down like this, number two, to offer him control of your life. To offer him control. For some of us, maybe this year, you've recognized it's time that we take this 
casual, show up on Sunday from time to time. Like, yeah, I'm into it, and, and I'll be around the things of God from time to time. It certainly isn't my life. I mean, yes, I love God, but I mean, I'm a believer. Do you expect me to do this seven days a week? I mean, come on. And the reality is, at some point, God wants you to stop dating him, and he wants you to commit to him fully. And say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live out this relationship for you. I'm, gonna, I'm all in. I'm fully committed. You have total control of my life. I'm offering it to you. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's not looking for something that's dead. He's not looking for a physical offering. He wants a living sacrifice. He's looking for someone to say, God, you have total access to my life. Any area right now that I haven't given you permission to, you have full permission. You have full control. I'm giving you my all. And number three, he wants us to include him in our everyday life, which simply means the Lord wants you to call on him first. It doesn't matter if things are going great or if you're in distress. Who's the first person that you call? Who's the first person that you text? Who's the first person that you think of? And when that takes place, God's saying, I want that position in your life. I want to be the person that you cry out to first in your marriage, your job, your business, your finances, your health, your struggles, your frustrations, your doubts, your fears, your insecurities, your weaknesses, your strengths, everything about you and your life, include him. Give him access. It's worship to God when he gets to be a part of your whole life, when he gets everything. So what does God really want? He wants you to love him the most. He wants for us to offer ourselves to him all that we have, everything that I am. He wants us to call on him, to include him with what's going on in our life, good or bad. He just wants to be around you. Write this down. Here's the answer to the question. What God really wants is relationship with me. He wants relationship with you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified each week as soon as a new sermon is available. We would love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Keystone Church or over on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Keystone Church PA. And of course, for more information, you can visit our website at keystonechurchpa.com.